Uh, I think just about all Australians will know about the dolphins at Monkey Mire and the stromatolites at Shark Bay. And right on the edge of the bay is Hamlin Station, which is where I am now. And Hamlin Station is operated and owned by Australian Bush Heritage. And I'm speaking to the two reserve managers, Michelle Judd, who's the field officer. Uh, Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. And Ken Judd, who is the reserve manager. And morning, Ken. Morning, Rob. All right, now the station where we are right now, tell me about the origin of Hamlin Station, how Australian bush heritage came to be here and what was happening before that time. Bush Heritage Australia um, identifies everywhere around Australia strategically important large landscape scale um, areas that are worthy of conservation that may fall out of the um, public reserve sort of agenda. Uh, we are right adjacent to the 2.2 million hectare World Heritage Area of Shark Bay. The Hamlin Station Reserve is 202,000 hectares in its own right, which effectively adds 10% of the land mass to that World Heritage Area. And regardless of how we manage it, at least it becomes a buffer to that, uh, that sensitive area of Hamlin Pool and also the World Heritage uh, Area, Shark Bay Peninsula. So it was uh, specifically targeted and it was uh, a pastoral lease, still is a pastoral lease, uh, and it was being managed as a station stay as a part of the diversification of the previous uh, manager. And Bush Heritage imagined that it might be a good opportunity to uh, connect with the uh, passing uh, trade, effectively the uh, the tourists that pass through this caravan park is a, the sort of person that we're trying to attract and educate into how Bush Heritage operates and, and, and they're the sort of supporters that we probably to like to foster. Yes, there, there are a lot of people heading up to Monkey Myers so you'll get a good contact with the general public. Now, Michelle, looking out the window behind us, I can see the landscape. Do you want to describe what the property looks like? (laughs) Well, the property's quite green now because we had uh, substantial rain, 60 mil of rain in May. But um, prior to that, um, totally brown, red, um, um, devoid of any ground covers. But now it's, yes, a massive green carpet and uh, looks quite foreign to us because we didn't get here until October. And um, so we've sort of, this is a real um, introduction to the other side of Hamlin Station. And and there is a a cover of heavy shrubs or low, small trees. What sort of trees are you seeing? Uh, There's a lot of very prickly shrubs for a start. The vegetation around Hamlin Station has been um, heavily grazed by sheep and goats and so anything that's palatable to those animals has almost been removed from the landscape Um, and anything that's prickly is what's remained. So we don't actually know the exact species of plants that were here because the property's been grazed for over 100 years. So some of those species may have been removed completely from the environment, but um, now by destocking, we're gradually starting to see more diversification and more of those um, low bushes that have got 
more palatable leaves are staying to come back into the environment. And uh, that will change the nature of the habitat as well and I presume of the life, the birds and the little animals that come back because they, uh, they rely on a certain type of vegetation? Correct. The, um, a lot of the small mammals require cover and by removing the, um, the low vegetation you expose them predation. So that's to eagles, to cats, to foxes. Um, so now by getting this ground cover more established, we're hoping that uh, yeah, the native mammals can be reintroduced back into the environment. Now you, you both did an excellent talk for the people here at the station stay and I really learned a lot uh, uh, on that talk and Michelle you pointed to a tree as we went past and you said that was, uh, I forget what it was, something from Africa I think. Can you just repeat that story? Okay it's a tamarisk which has been introduced into the Australian landscape. It um, can survive in the hot dry climates, it's got a very deep taproot but the problem with it is it um, gets down into the table, into the water table, sucks up the salt, and then of a morning when you go out, you can actually see the salt dripping onto the landscape, onto the dirt. So the tamarisks are devoid of any vegetation underneath. Uh, okay, so it has quite a, a big impact. And and you are you going to remove those trees? We're targeting originally or initially the um, trees that are growing up beside the buildings because they drip salt onto the roofs, impact the, um, the structure of the building. Where all, they're also their roots are um, creating a lot of cracks in the walls and also lifting the paths around the, um, the building. So they're the highest priority for us initially. Because we've not got any creeks or water courses around here, the tamarisks that are scattered about aren't spreading but ultimately we're going to be attacking those too and we're in the process of planting native eucalypts to take their place. Oh, that was great, yes, when I arrived to meet you this morning. There you were digging a hole with a pick. Now, now Caden, you mentioned that uh, when you have to establish a new reserve like this, there's a whole lot of stuff that has to be done. Can you just take me through what's involved in establishing something like a bush heritage reserve? Uh, yeah, definitely. The, um, the difference between running it as a, a pastoral station and a uh, conservation reserve are, are very different needs. At the end of the, um, our time here, somewhere in the future, we're not sure how long it's going to take, uh, it should be a simple maintenance caretaking uh, job. But in the meantime, it's actually about rationalising the equipment and the machinery and the fences and the roads and the drainage lines that uh, were set in place to, to manage it as, a, as an ongoing concern, a going farm. So in terms of uh, managing uh, for the welfare of animals, a lot of those high tensile fences uh, are being removed. Uh, a lot of the tracks that have direct lines down the hill form concentrated paths for water to a road, which may impact on the Hamlin Pool ecosystems. And then a lot of the uh, the shallow water table uh, windmills were effectively being um, turned off so we can manage the stock and the trapping of stock during summer. So with all the uh, the workshop even, uh, it's a matter of tidying up. We're just decluttering effectively to make the, the job of any future manager a, a simple 
uh, job to, to undertake and then they can focus on the, the conservation aspect of the property rather right. than the infrastructure side of the property. And this place is very significant because of its proximity to the stromatolites in the bay. Uh, how does that affect you? Uh, it, it drives pretty much everything that we do. Uh, every land-based impact that uh, we have adjacent to the pool will effectively show itself down at the pool. So it is our responsibility to, to bind up the soil and stop that erosion, which means that we control that, uh, that gully erosion. We spread and disperse the water across the landscape uh, by encouraging the ground covers and ultimately um, that uh, renewed ground cover will allow you know a lot of those species to thrive and adapt and provide the habitat that we need for those critical weight mammals. Uh, but Hamlin Pool is special, it's unique in the world, it's the best example of stromatolites anywhere in the world and the, the conditions that prevail in that that pool which is about 132,000 hectares of water um, works in a, a super saline environment and uh, if we disturb those interactions between our water tables and our groundwater on Hamlin Station and the pool which we don't quite understand the association or the the impacts yet uh, we we are actually um, have a responsibility to to look after that unique yeah. Um, asset, yeah. Well, the, those dramatolites are fairly amazing things. So they're, they're not that much to look at, but uh, they're extremely significant to the history of life on the planet. Uh, now, are you going to be reintroducing a fire regime on the property? Uh, we'd love to. So we've got a, uh, a volunteer fire ecologist coming up actually uh, next month. Uh, their responsibility is to effectively look at the property as a, uh, a whole of uh, fire management regime. So number one is protect assets. So we're looking at how to manage uh, asset protection around the homestead, but also to look at the ecology of the uh, different ecology uh, around the, um, the reserve. So we've got several different vegetation um, types around the property, spin effects, woodland, we've got the rangelands, etc. So we don't understand what the fire regime should be or needs to be. And this is where the two-way science with the local Mulgana Aboriginal group is going right. to be an important component of that. And hopefully we may be able to extract uh, a little bit of science, a little bit of traditional knowledge to uh, find out what that uh, regime needs to be, but we don't yet understand it. Right. But the process is about. And, and I think I gather it's a lot more subtle than it seems. That it would be fairly tricky to resume burning on a property where it hasn't been for a long time. Uh, Michelle, let's talk about the trapping animals. So the other night you showed us a pit trap. Yes. And uh, that's part of the actual hardcore monitoring of the impact on the wildlife here. Can you describe that? We, um, in October, we have a couple of zoologists come out and do pitfall trapping. What it is is uh, buckets or PVC pipes sunk into the ground. They're 400 mil deep. Um, and beside those, we put out a very fine fence stretches for about six metres each direction from the bucket. But the idea is that a little mammal or a lizard comes across the fence, follows the fence along, that drops down into the bucket. Um, our responsibility is to um, assess those traps or 
check those traps every morning before 10 o'clock. So we had 80 traps out. We were setting off well before daylight so we could get round before it got the heat of the day. Um, inside the traps we also have little toilet rolls that can give the animals a little bit of protection, a little bit of security if they're waiting in there for us. We found multiple lizards, uh, little mammals, what, what, what's the most unusual thing you found in one? We actually came across quite a large um, thrush in one of the, the um, small PVC pipes, head down. Um, it was very relieved to be uh, released. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Now, that's all part of uh, making sure that the activities you do here on the Australian Bush Heritage Reserve have a positive impact uh, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah, the, the important thing is bush heritage is absolutely driven by science, so it's important uh, as a, an organisation that receives public funds, donations to operate. And when we buy properties, it, our responsibility is to to know it's the right property for the right reasons and yeah. to, to establish a baseline where we truly understand the, the population and species that exist and be able to demonstrate over time that what we do on the ground makes a positive difference. And that, at the end of the day, is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, there's not many organisations across Australia that do that well, uh, but I think Bush Heritage is on a very good um, sound footing in terms of the science that they they establish in the first instance to be able to work off. Yes, you can actually look at some numbers and you can say this species has recovered or this one has not or whatever. Now, your own background, I think you said you're from Bairnsdale. How did you yeah. come to be here? We got to that stage of life where um, our professional careers were uh, office-based and uh, we decided that once the kids left home that this is our... Um, our way of getting back out and getting our hands dirty. So we enjoy the, the practical uh, side of life. Uh, we love to be seen to be making a difference. So uh, we do also appreciate the science and strategy. And so we love the combination of being able to come onto a property of this side, size, working for such an organisation that's driven by strong science, strong strategy, and we're the people on the ground getting our hands dirty and making it work. And Michelle, your enthusiasm is uh, really evident. You're out there this morning digging holes and so on. And uh, how do you feel about being here on the Bush Heritage site? Oh, yes, really enjoying it. And really enjoying working together with Ken again because for most of our working life we'd been working together and out in the field. And, um, yes, we had been office space for 10 years and good to be back together working outside and doing the things we love and meeting a huge amount of really enthusiastic people. Yes because earlier you mentioned the, the contact that you get with people here because you can put your tent up or your caravan here at the uh, at Hamlin station and uh, so you enjoy meeting the members of the public. How do you find them mostly? Oh the people that come up here are people that are down to earth and are really wanting to get an understanding of the environment that they're living in at the time. So we've had just positive experiences all around. Yeah, it's, it's a, um, a thing that we love to share. Um, education interpretation has been the core of our, our life's work, outdoor education trained initially. So we, we like to share our, our learnings and our experiences and whether it be paddling down a river or taking people on a guided walk, 
uh, anything that we can do to motivate or inspire people is, is where we'd like to be. Okay, so you, you mentioned destocking, Michelle. Uh, do you want to say a few words about that? Because this was a pastoral lease before Bush Heritage took it over. It is still a pastoral lease, so formally it still recognises a pastoral lease, but we have uh, room to move in terms of how we manage the carrying capacity based on the ability for the vegetation to sustain. But ultimately, uh, Bush Heritage is looking at managing this area for conservation. So uh, from 15,000 stock that were taken off this property back in 2015 to 5,000 last year to 1,000 this year, the clear theme for us is to reduce the number of stock, and most of the stock at the moment are, are feral goats that move across the landscape in those wetter times of the year. Uh, but it is uh, essential to our ultimate goal of re-establishing the habitat that's so, so important. Are, are there requirements of a pastoral lease that you have to have a certain number? You, there is requirements for the pastoral lease. I'm not intimate about the actual detail, but there is an obligation for us to manage this as a pastoral lease. There is room to move to manage that within uh, our own management needs in terms of the stocking rate carrying capacity. But one day, maybe there will be a change of uh, regulation that allows us to manage purely for conservation in the future. But as, as at the moment, it's still a pastoral lease. Yeah. All right, uh, Michelle and Ken, it's been a great, great pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Rod.